0: we think new is better, but I don't think that's the problem in our country. And this little phrase caught my eye when I was just looking through some of the Boltons. As we talk about the needs in our country, I I think this little saying pretty much sums it up. For us to move forward, perhaps we need to go back. There are some things that we need to go back to. And this morning... I don't know how many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't know how many people here believe that this is truth. <clears throat> and when I say that, I'm not saying that you believe that there is some truth in here, but what I'm asking is, do you believe that this is a book that God has given to us, that God has overseen not only the writing of it, but the preservation of it? Do you believe that what we read in here is true? Because this is what we need to go back to. And as we look over these next few weeks at the culture, and we're going to be looking at the culture, October, November, we're going to be talking about this book and what this book tells us about what is truth. And we're going to see how divergent our culture has become uh, from this book. I want to read this morning from John chapter 14. I'd like to read the first six verses. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said this. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, lest we think that this is an isolated teaching, I'd like you to just follow along with several other passages this morning. <clears throat> and I'd like to read these as they come up. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. There is one God and one Mediator. 1 John 5.12 He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty straightforward. 1 John 2.23 No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And Acts 2.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then lastly, again, as we read, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, there's only one way. There's only one way, and that's Jesus. There's only one name. only one name that will save and that's Jesus name and so there's only one way and there's only one name and that's Jesus now you can't argue that that's what the Bible teaches you can argue that you don't think that's true but you can't argue that that's what the Bible teaches that's not my opinion by the way that's simply very straightforward What. The Bible teaches, and what the words of of Christ Himself record for us. Now, when I was growing up, if you went like this, if you went like I don't know what that means to you, what you're thinking right now. But I grew up in the '60s and '70s during the Jesus movement, and there's a period a few years there where if you went like this, that meant one way. We had bumper stickers. Remember those? said, one way. I had little round red things that said, one way, and we'd stick them on our books when we went to school. And it was, it was a, a very common thing. And, you know, not everybody agreed with that, but, but nobody really thought much about it. That little statement, one way. Things have changed since then. We live in an increasingly antagonistic society towards those that claim that there is one way. We see that this belief that there is only one way is becoming less and less among people in the culture and what is probably most disturbing, that it's becoming that way also in the church. Let me just give you a few stats regarding... uh, This comes from Barna and obviously stats can vary from different groups that do them, one from another, but let me just give you a few stats here that Barna comes up with in there. And they've done some pretty broad spectrums. Uh, First of all, just in terms of the world, 33% is Christian. 33% 33% of the world claims to be Christian, 20, 20% Islam, 13% Hindu, 6% Chinese religions, 6% Buddhism, 7% other, and 15% non-religious. So it just gives you kind of a broad spectrum of, of how the world would claim itself in terms of religion. Another stat, 78% of 18 to 25 year olds say they are Christians in this country. Almost 8 out of 10 would say if you ask them they are Christians. More than half of those claiming to be Christians believe that the Quran and the Book of Mormon offer the same truths as the Bible. Here's another stat, 72% of people in the culture don't believe in absolute truth 52% of people claiming to be born again do not believe in absolute truth. And here's the the statistic. 65% of professing Christians, those that would profess to be Christians when polled, 65% do not believe that Jesus is the only way. That means the majority of people today that claim to be Christians do not believe what the Bible says to be true. Here's a passage from 1 John chapter 2, and uh, you can follow along up on the screen. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what that passage tells us is is that what we see going on in culture today is the spirit or the work of the Antichrist, which is a satanically empowered spirit. It works and works its way into the attitudes of people and into the laws of the culture. And we see this going on all around us. We see it in the statement that, you know, Christ Christ was a great guy. He was one of the greatest teachers that ever lived with Jesus Christ. He sets a great example for how to love and how to live your life. But he is not the only name under heaven by which a person can be saved. That teaching comes from the spirit of the Antichrist in our culture. Vicki and I saw a great movie uh, last night. We went down this point, saw the movie uh, Seven Days in Utopia. It is is really a great movie. I don't know. How many of you have seen it? Oh, one person. First of all, it was, it was limited in theaters. And as soon as I saw that, I figured, well, it's probably done by Christians. Even though it was an excellent, excellent movie. Robert Duvall was in it. Uh, just a very wholesome type movie. It's interesting. And in here, they, uh, there was a, very much a spiritual focus of encouraging people in a faith journey and to look to God and, and so forth. But I was mentioning to Vicky this morning, I said, you know, the name Jesus Christ was never mentioned in the movie, and I'm not criticizing the movie at all because of that, because there's a website to go to if you had more interest afterwards. The reason the name Jesus Christ was not used in the movie, I believe, is because if you put it there, immediately people would turn it off. There is something Offensive growingly offensive about the word Jesus Christ in our culture today. And that is coming about by a spirit of the Antichrist which is at work in the world. It was at work in the world in John's day when he wrote, and it is at work in our day in which we live. You make the proclamation that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and you will experience that Antichrist in the world you'll be called narrow-minded you'll be called arrogant you'll be called uncaring Uh, here's a word you'll be called intolerant intolerant what that used to mean is is that you beat up people that didn't agree with you or you disrespected people that didn't agree with you or you treated them in an unloving way that's what intolerance used to mean now what intolerance means is is that you don't value and accept someone else's opinion as equally valid to yours. That's what intolerance is. So if I believe one thing and you believe another and I think that my belief is more valid than yours then I'm being intolerant. Then I'm being quote judgmental. Which makes no sense whatsoever. I mean the Hindus believe there are many gods Christianity believes there is one God, how can both of them be equally valued? One is right, or one is wrong. Christianity teaches there is only one way to God. There are other religions that teach there are many ways to God. You know what? There is either only one, or there is many. It can't be both. And so, We see here that to be tolerant means don't try and change anyone's mind if you think that they are accepting some form of false teaching in their life. Just let them be, let them believe what they want to believe, you believe what you want to believe. That's what tolerance is about in our day. Christianity does not leave us that option. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said it He said it so well, and uh, you've probably heard this quote before. Let me just read it again this morning. You can follow along up on the wall. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that, up, that open to us, and he did not intend to. Any man that walks around claiming to be the only way to God, claiming to be God, which is, you know by the way, why they crucified him, that claims to be able to forgive everyone's sin, through his life if he is not those things he is not a great moral teacher. He is a madman or something worse. That was Lewis's point and it's a point that is well taken. This is true of Jesus and by the way it's also true of Christianity. We are either the one way or we are no way. We're either one way or we're no way. If we're not the way they were not anyway. The claims of Christianity are too radical for that. Someone has said that, you know, people in the world that really what what religion is like is that, you know, it's like everybody, it's, if you imagine a bunch of blind people and... and you put them in this room, and there's an elephant. Somebody has a hold of the trunk, and they're going they're trying to describe the elephant. And yeah, ele, you know, God is long and about this big around. Someone else has the tail, and they're describing God in a different way. And someone else has the ear, and they're saying, "No, God is real broad." And and someone else has one of the legs, and they're going, "Man, this, you know," and everybody has a different, you know everybody's just describing a different aspect of God. You know, Christianity describes one aspect, and Hindus and Buddhists and so forth, and we're all just really describing the same God. I think the, the picture of what Christianity paints is that through Christ, we are no longer blind. We we no longer have to grope and and try and figure out what God is like. Now through Christ and through His Spirit in us, Jesus said, you can know the Father through me. You'll never know the Father fully apart from me, but you can truly know God through me. And that's the claim that Christianity makes. That God actually opens our eyes and we can see the ears and the trunk and we can see all of God and understand the fullness of God. Certainly other religions have pieces of truth and understandings that are true about God. But Christianity, Jesus said, you'll never know the Father. I, I didn't, Jesus said this, you'll never know the Father except through me. Christianity is very narrow. You don't have to label it that way. Jesus already told us that it was narrow. He's the one that said it. You know, people say, you know, you sound really narrow-minded. And the answer to that is, I am. I am I'm very narrow-minded. Uh, Tony Campolo tells about having a conversation on a plane. And they're having this conversation, and they're getting ready to land, and Tony Campolo goes, you know what? I'm really glad the pilot isn't up there thinking, there are many ways into this airport. No, there's... Aren't you glad there's, you know, there's only one way to land this plane? And there are certain places, certain times, certain things in life in which the way is very narrow. Jesus said, the way is narrow. Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. So Jesus tells us, the gate is very narrow. He tells the story in John 10. Let me just read a little bit of it for you. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When, he's brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, in fact. They will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will go in and out and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus, again, is just saying the same thing. You know, if you don't go through me, if you go some other way, that's the thief and the robber. That, that road will end in destruction is what He is saying. Anyone who tells you there's another gate is inviting you to be led astray. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. How can we not proclaim this truth that, as Jesus tells us, only He can save? People say, well, if God is good, why why can't He just save everyone? And what's what's critical to understand as we look at the uniqueness of Jesus is that God is also just. And if someone is going to bring salvation to you or me, then they have to deal the penalty of sin in our life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So, you know, if I were a judge here this morning and each of us walked in, the question would be very simple. Have you, have you committed any sin in your life? Didn't matter if it was uh, 100,000 sins or it doesn't matter if it's one sin. The question is, have you committed sin? Because if you've committed one sin in your life, then the wages of sin is death. And so imagine, you know, we come in, rest. And by the way, you know, we will all, all mankind, the Bible says, will face that situation where we come before God and we will have to deal with our sin. Each one of us would come and the judge would say, uh, you are guilty, as announced, take a seat. Well, we're all seated. By the time we get done, we're all seated. The Bible says, every person on the face of the earth has sinned. And the picture we have is that, the son who is standing with his father comes down and and turns to the father and and says father I have I have done your will that you gave me to do I have lived the life and I have not sinned The scriptures tell us that Christ lived a sinless life and so it is because of that that Christ is able to look up to the father and say I would therefore like to give my life for these people and it becomes an agreement to satisfy the justice of God you see that's why God because he is just cannot just simply go oh well people will be people I know they make mistakes someone has to pay for that sin And what we see here is that Jesus Christ, because He was sinless, was able to satisfy the justice of God and pay for your sin and mine. And you know what? Buddha couldn't do that. Gandhi couldn't do that. Hare Krishna couldn't do that. You can't do that. Your good works can't do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. No one else, you you will not find no other, quote, way or Savior which claims to have lived that sinless life and satisfied the justice of God. And so there is no other name, says the writer of Acts, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved because only Christ, only Christ could sufficiently pay for your sin and pay for mine. You know, this morning, as we we think about this truth, I get really adamant about this because we have a God. Let me me just read a a word about this Christ just from Colossians. Listen to who He is. He is the image of the invisible God. By Him all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So here is Jesus Christ, who is God himself through whom the whole universe was created. And as great as he was, he came and and gave his life on that cross. And I have a really hard time with people who are going to say, you know what? Buddha can do that. Jesus is just kind of another good guy. You know what? The work of God and the work of Christ, you, you can get in without that. You really don't need what Christ did. And what the Scripture says is when we deny that place that Christ holds, we crucify Him all over again. You know why they crucified Christ? They crucified Him because He claimed to be the Son of God come in the flesh to save the world. And so when we deny that truth, we end up crucifying him all over again. As we function and live out our call as a church in this culture, you are going to run into antagonism. You will run into conflict. You will run into people that think you are intolerant and narrow-minded. I'm not saying we shove this in people's face, but I am saying as a church that we need to understand that there is only one way to the Father. And that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, we lift up to you this compromise of truth that is... Not just in the culture, we can expect it in the culture, but in, in the church. Those that claim to be followers of you who deny this truth. And Lord, who deny the place that only you deserve. Lord Jesus, you are the only savior of the world. You are the only one worthy of that title. You are the only one worthy of that honor. Because of who you are and because of what you did. And Father, might we here today just be very clear of what your word teaches and what as we call yourself your as we call ourselves your people, what we are called to believe. And that is that there is truly only one name under heaven by which we all must be saved. And uh That is the name of Jesus Christ. To him be the praise and glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.